0: Welcome to Calling a City to Life, a podcast by Queen's Park Baptist Church in Glasgow. Each week you'll hear from us two episodes, the talk and the chat. First up is the talk, and that's the audio version of this week's sermon as preached at Queen's Park Baptist. So this is your opportunity to listen to it again, or to listen to it for the first time and later on in the week you'll be able to tune in again and download the chat We'll we gather round and discuss in a bit more detail some of the issues and themes raised in this week's talk. Thank you for tuning in to the talk, we hope you enjoy it, and we look forward to you tuning in again later in the week. Enjoy! Welcome to those of you who are online, welcome to those of you who are listening on the podcast at whatever date that is. Um, now, we already know, because Mary's told us, that it is Pentecost uh, Sunday, seventh Sunday after Easter, when we join together, and, and this is mind-blowing, isn't it, with millions, millions of brothers and sisters across the globe remembering, celebrating, reimmersing, immersing re-embedding themselves in the story of the Father giving the spirit of Pentecost that we'll read of in the book of Acts and if Mary did the traditional reading in a non-traditional way, I want this to go slightly earlier because normally we would preach from Acts 2 but I want to do things slightly different, not for the sake of being different but because I think if we go slightly earlier I think God wants to say something important to hopes okay so we're going to read if you want to turn in your bibles to uh, acts chapter one we're going to read three to five twelve to fourteen before jumping to chapter two and doing the beginning of that now i know that this means that we miss peter's speech some of which mary did and if you've never read it before if you've read it a million times it's worth reading it again so why don't you uh, do that this afternoon this afternoon read chapters 1 and 2 and let God speak to you as you reflect eh, to them. But let's read Acts 1 now and hear the word of God to us today. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them. Now, I want to interrupt our reading just to make some observations. This isn't the sermon as such. This is just some observations so, later on, we'll read in verse 15 that there was around 120 people gathered. And that's probably the them that's been referred to here. It could just be the 12, but I think it's 120. Well, the 11. So, back to the text. After his suffering, he presented himself live to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over the course of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you've heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's jump to verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they'd entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All of these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. Let's pause for a second again. It's important, I think, to notice that Luke draws attention to the fact that to those who Jesus had said, the Father is going to pour His Spirit upon you, He's going to baptize you with the Spirit. To those that He told, go to Jerusalem and wait, that that included women and specifically included Mary, the mother of Jesus, drawing attention not just to the presence of women, but that the women present were active participants in what was going on. They were among this group of 120 who were constantly devoting themselves to prayer. And given how society in that day was very separated um, on holiday the things you do in holiday and holiday visited a synagogue very small synagogue it was a a room in kind of like not quite a tenement building but think of a tenement building that had been um converted into a synagogue and there was these grids on the wall and you can eavesdrop into what a tour guide saying and learn stuff and these grids were into other rooms and other houses And that's where the women would have sat. They would have sat behind these grids, because very segregated. The men were allowed to be in the center, but the women were, when they expanded it, there was then a balcony that were allowed to sit. Very segregated, but here, the women are active participants of what is happening. Something radical is happening. With regards to how the early church comes together as a whole community, and who's able to participate in that community. And drawing attention to the presence of women here kind of like looks forward to what Peter's gonna say when he quotes the prophet Joel and draws our attention to that. Then Acts 2 verse 17. Peter, quoting Joel, says that God would pour out his spirit upon, you know it, don't you, all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And then again in verse 18, that the spirit would be poured upon men and women. Something radical, something new is happening here. And I think we know this, don't we? We know this, that God pours his spirit upon men and and women, but we're in a cultural moment where everything is contested. So it's worth affirming that God pours his spirit upon men and women. No one is excluded. And Mary gets a special mention because Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is doing something really subtle here. I think he does a number of subtle things here. When he wrote his gospel the gospel starts doesn't it with the angel gabriel coming and announcing to mary that she is going to give birth to jesus but what is it that the angel says to mary the angel says the holy spirit will come upon you the power of the most high will overshadow you and the similarity of that announcement and the announcement that is now made in verse 8 of Acts 1, has not been lost on many commentators. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And many have pointed out that Luke is reminding us that a birth of something new is about to happen. That this coming upon to receive power is a receiving of a power for something new to be brought forth, something new to be birthed. In Luke 1, the new birth is Jesus. In Acts 1 and 2, the new birth through the power of the Spirit is the church. Back to our reading. Chapter two. When the day of Pentecost had come and they were all together in one place, And suddenly from heaven there came the sound like the rushing of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them and a tongue rested in each of them and all of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Don't know whether you picked this up in what, Mary read the rhyming kind of like Acts 2. But what ha- is happening here in Acts is quite different from what Paul describes when he's writing to the church in Corinth. Here in Jerusalem, the tongues that the disciples speak, that the 120 speak, are actual languages. And we'll see as we get to verse 6 that people understood them because they were speaking their native language in corinth something different is happening the tongues that people speak are not a discernible earthly language and therefore paul says listen if this tongue is to do something if it's due to do what the spirit has given it to to build up the church then somebody needs to interpret it so that we know what the spirit is saying to us if it's to edify the listeners, then there needs to be an interpretation. Growing up, that was my experience. I grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal church, whatever label you want to put on it. And most weeks, somebody would stand up and give a tongue. If it was my dad, I thought he sounded like a Cherokee Indian, but he <laughs> he, he wasn't, still is. Yeah, the thing that I can remember, the first time my kids heard my dad give a word in tongue, thought, whoa, because he gets very, very loud. <laughs> But it wasn't a discernible language. And every week, somebody else, after a few months, would stand up and give an interpretation. This is what I believe God is saying to us through this. That's what's happening in Corinth. Here, there's no interpretation needed. Those outside the walls understand what is being said. And if we're to make very broad brushstrokes, and this is very broad brushstrokes, then the tongues at Pentecost are missional. The tongues at Pentecost, what Is it's the people hear of God's mighty works and deeds of power, and they understand them. And I don't think they just hear with their heads, but many of them hear with their hearts. For sure, some hear with their heads and go, these guys are nuts, they're drunk. Whereas the, the, the tongues and, and corn seem to be for building up the body. Again, I would say building up the body, ready for mission, for building up the body. And we need both, don't we? We need to be built up, but we need to go out. We're built up to go out. Back to the text. Honestly, we will get to the end of the passage. And you're now worrying about how long the sermon's going to be. It's one point, honest, it's one point. Now there are devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speak in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygra, Philem, eh, somewhere hard to say, Egypt, <laughs> the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrenian, visitors from Rome and both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own language we heard them speak about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed saying to another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. Amen final comment on the text before we get into the preach proper. Luke compresses the story of what happens in this day. He's really brief. In many ways, he leaves out more than what he tells us. And one of the things he doesn't tell us that puzzles us when we read the text and really pay attention is... How did the people outside know what was going on inside? It's as if there's a transition that happens. That all of a sudden, outside and inside are blurred. The walls seem to not quite disappear. But there's a transition that happens, empowered by the Spirit. Oh, we need that transition, don't we? From outside to inside. It reminds us that the coming of the Spirit is poured out for those who don't yet know. Years ago, kind of like, you know, the Church of Scotland have just had their assembly and, and years ago, I think it was, was it around about, I'm looking at Edwin for a nod, was it around about the year 2000? There was a guy called Peter Nielsen who wrote a po- report called The Church Without Walls. That's what's happened here, Church Without Walls. The people outside know what's happening inside. the sermon proper now. As I say, there's only one point, so don't worry. Back in January, if you were here, if you're a visitor, don't worry. Um, but back in January we we'd Fred Drummond with us from the Evangelical Alliance. And in his sermon, he mentioned British historian David Bebbington. Now, Fred mentioned Bebbington because Bebbington is famous for describing or defining evangelicalism. And Fred, being from the Evangelical Alliance, was wanting to convince us that we are evangelicals and therefore should support him. And the four characteristics that Bebbington can like identified of evangelicals is, is things that are central are the Bible, the cross, conversion, and activism. Now, I don't plan to regurgitate Fred's sermon, good and helpful as it was. Rather, I mentioned Fred and I mentioned Bebbington because both suggest that we here are individuals, are a people, are a church who like to do things, who like to be active. We're people who like to make Things happen, and we're people who want to make a difference. We are activists. And those of you who are not sure whether you're an activist are utterly convinced that the person sitting next to you is an activist and that they should be doing something and that the church should, should be doing more. If at a pound for every time somebody came to me and said, what's the church doing about fill in the blank?" or when are we doing, or we should be doing, then I'd be a rich man. Now hear me right. That's not a criticism, that's an observation. We need that agitation, we need that stirring, we need that speaking to each other and and provoking each other. I mean, that's what Hebrews says. Provoke each other to keep doing good works. So long as it's said in love. And I know myself, again, in the church that I grew up, we were a small church, but at times it felt as though we would more meetings to go to, more opportunities to get involved in what I had, hot dinners. If you're a similar age to me, then you probably were shaped by singing, I want to serve the purposes of God in my generation. I want to serve the purposes of God while I'm alive. I want to give my life for something that will last forever. Oh, I delight, I delight to do your will. What's on your heart? Show me what to do. Let me know your will, and I will follow you. Now, we don't perhaps sing that song anymore, not even suggesting that we bring it back, but that's my heart, and I know that that's many of your hearts. If you're slightly younger, maybe you can, like, we're into Delirious history maker. And that's great. We need that passion, don't we? The desire and the delight to do God's will. The prayer that God would use us individually and corporately. That we would see individual lives and communities. That we would see the city of Glasgow called to life, transformed by the kingdom of God. But I suspect some of you are sensing a but coming. And here it is. Here's my reflection in Acts 1 and 2, which is a but. Or we could rephrase it as a question. Are we in danger? Do we just make ourselves busy doing stuff for God? Good, amazing stuff. Sometimes stuff that actually really needs done. But we jump ahead of God and what we're doing lacks the power of the Spirit. The 120 in Acts who've remained faithful to Jesus, they've spent time with him after the resurrection. And then we know what happens, don't we? They're commissioned. They're commanded to go and change the world. Go. Go. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and of the holy spirit and yet there's a pause quite literally a pregnant pause before they go jesus tells them to wait the text tells us the journey back from the mount called olivet back to where they were staying in jerusalem and that this was A Sabbath day journey. And as I say, Luke misses out so much that what he does tell us, I think we've got to pay attention to when he tells us something specific. Is he telling us this? Because he's subtly encouraging us to be attentive to the rhythms that God gives us. To be attentive to Sabbath. To waiting upon and delighting in God. Not a false Sabbath of doing nothing and being bored. After all, the disciples are traveling. They're not doing nothing. Waiting on God is always active waiting. But Sabbath, where we lay down busyness, where we lay down our own agendas... Where we lay down the latest fad or trend of what church is meant to do and delight in being with god that we would be empowered for what god has called us to do jesus ordered the 120 not to leave jerusalem but to wait there for the promise the father had given them the pouring of the spirit out upon them verses 12 and 13 in which he gives that instruction, signature to us a foundational mark of what it is to be a disciple. Discipleship is obedience to Jesus. They obey Jesus and go at the speed and pace he is set. They wait and then go. The temptation, certainly my temptation, would have been having spent three years with jesus just to rush ahead into the mission that he'd given them i can imagine a conversation between peter john and mary magdalene and others he told us to go didn't he he told us to go yeah yeah i, I heard him say go go well, what are we doing waiting about then Let's just get on with it. Come on, I don't want to go back to where we've just come from. We've just come from Jerusalem. He said, go, go out. I'm sure he just means for us to get on with it. Yet amazingly, perhaps even miraculously, they're obedient to Jesus. They place their faith and their trust in his instructions. And they return to Jerusalem, to an upper room, and that might even been triggering for some of them. I mean, they'd been hiding in upper rooms after Jesus was crucified. And yet they're told to go back to an upper room and wait. Even Peter, impulsive, headstrong Peter, retur- returns to Jerusalem with others and waits. Active waiting. They don't have the phones out scrolling to see what the news is, updating Facebook, not that they had phones. But they're centered in prayer. They're together with one heart and one mind and one desire. I don't like waiting. I'm not very good at waiting. And I suspect I'm not alone at this. There is, of course, a sense in which the Spirit has already been poured on us, isn't there? We are a people of Pentecost, who know the Spirit, who've received by the Spirit, who walk and live in the Spirit. But we know, I'm sure, that we need to be filled with the Spirit constantly. We need constant filling, not just because we leak, but because we know that there's so much more of life in the Spirit that we have not entered into or are experiencing just now. We long, well, at least I hope we long, not merely to be filled with the Spirit, but to experience a coming upon of the Spirit like the disciples in the day of Pentecost. A coming upon us in power which blows away and burns up that which is not from God or of God. A coming upon us that dissolves the walls which separate us from those that need to hear about God's deeds and power so they turn to them. A coming upon us which births something new. And a sense that we are in a moment of pregnant pause. We're hungry for God to move, to do something new in our context. But will we travel a Sabbath day journey and wait? Wait for God to be empowered by His Spirit. Be obedient to Him. Wait, knowing that waiting might look foolish and unproductive. Back in the 60s, there was a very public argument between two brothers, um, uh, Richard H. Niebuhr and Reinhold Niebuhr. Reinhold was the elder brother. Now, these were really prominent guys. I mean, Reinhold Niebuhr influenced American policy. He was a theologian, but he was a public theologian who had a huge influence. And they fell out over the Vietnam War. And Richard had written a letter to his brother. I can't remember which newspaper it appeared into, but the the letter was titled, The Grace of Doing Nothing. And that phrase is kind of like stuck with me. Are we willing to travel a Sabbath day to the upper room to experience the grace of doing nothing that God might do something? we know that the kingdom comes not by our business but in the power of the spirit and so we wait for him to come like a rushing wind that tongues of fires would be released that the structures which restrict us would dissolve and so we pray fill us with new wine father that we would speak with power in languages that people understand of your great deeds and your amazing love, so that like on that first Pentecost, many would turn to you and be saved, and that we would enter into that which you are birthing for your glory, that your kingdom as in heaven would come on earth. Come on us afresh, we pray thank you for listening to this week's calling a city to life talk we hope that you enjoyed it and that you'll join us again later in the week for the chat speak to you again soon goodbye